This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Crime stories have always been popular, and that popularity has extended to crime podcasts. Have you noticed how many podcasts there are now? Amy Suter-Clark has given us a bit of both in Girl 11. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me, Jan. The book starts with the script of a podcast. We're told of the sound effects and the background music, and there are people being interviewed by Elle. So Elle Castillo is the main character of the book. She is a true crime podcast host, obsessed with hunting down child killers and people who commit crimes against children in Minnesota, which is in the Midwest of the United States. And she specifically focuses on cold cases because she's an amateur investigator. So that's the only way she can get a hold of any sort of files or resources is for cases that have gone cold that the police aren't working on anymore. We're going to jump right into page 50 because she gives an example of the type of podcast she does. As you know, one thing I always try to do is focus on the victims, as in every case, the victims extend well beyond those who were killed. Their families, friends, and communities were damaged irreparably. I know what it is to experience trauma, to live and breathe it every day. I know what it's like when grief embeds itself in your skin, rushes through your bloodstream, leaks out in your sweat. And I know what it's like to have people ask you to relive it, rehash it until it feels like you're enduring every second of it all over again. Mm, So she's really on the victim side. She's gained a wide listening public, but not everyone is complimentary. As your book says, her inbox was full of comments, theories, and criticisms. What form did the criticisms take? I don't go into a great detail in the book about the criticisms that she receives, although I do sort of detail a couple of lines of the threatening emails she receives. Unfortunately, as I think most women in any sort of public sphere would know, there is a wealth of harassment that comes with being a woman who has opinions, as Elle states very blatantly in this book. And A lot of the criticism comes in the form of, you don't know what you're doing, you're not a professional, leave it to the police, that sort of thing. And that happens all the time for amateur investigators. I've seen it myself. When they get personal, she calls them red flagged menaces. She can also use Tina as a sounding board for these. What's Tina's expertise? So Tina is a fan of the podcast who eventually comes on board as her producer and researcher and kind of all around backup person on the podcast. With very good IT skills. And there's also Al's husband, Martin Castillo. He can also add professional advice. Now, what skills does he have? So Martin is a medical examiner in Minnesota. So he does forensic pathology, which is basically the investigation of why someone has died and what is the circumstances of their death. And so he helps her analyze autopsy results or potentially the causes of death of people where the autopsy results have been withheld from Elle, but would be helpful for her investigation to know how they likely were killed. There's also two other close to family members who are very important to Elle, that's Sash and Natalie. What are they celebrating when the book first starts? 
they are celebrating Natalie's 10th birthday, which is obviously a big milestone. I remember turning double digits and being very excited about that. Uh, so they are celebrating that in Ellen Martin's home. Elle's new podcast series is trying to bring new evidence to murders that took place in Minnesota over 20 years ago. Who was the countdown killer? So the countdown killer was the most notorious serial killer in Minnesota. He became famous for kidnapping and holding women hostage for seven days before killing them. And each one of his victims was a year younger than the last, starting with a 20-year-old woman, until he was abruptly interrupted at his 11-year-old victim, hence the title, Girl 11. We talk about that there might be a mathematical bent to this fella because there's the three. Now, you tell us in the book that three is a very important number in religion. And, and then seven also is a very important number. That's right. Yeah, it's really interesting. You can look up, if you look up symbolism of numbers in the Bible, you can find symbolism for just about every number, which I think someone's probably spent a little too much time <laughs> divining symbolism from every number. But three, seven, and 21 are definitely key trigger numbers for the countdown killer. And I explore that and why in the book. Because when these victims are found on the seventh day dead, they have 21 lashes on their back. That's right. There's also a very interesting way that these girls are killed. Lee. I don't think it's really a spoiler. It's, it's pretty early on in the book that you discover they're killed uh, by ingesting castor beans. Poison is usually uh, considered to be a female way to kill because it's a, sort of an hands-off killing mid, but uh, that is how the countdown killer kills his victims and castor bean poisoning takes time hence the seven days that mm -hmm. he keeps them because it takes that time for the poison to now, to work very very there's been no clues well 20 years ago they couldn't find anything but they did find a tea stain and they found mm -hmm. out that uh, the tea stain was Darjeeling but that, when the police announced that, it caused more problems. Well, unfortunately, Minnesota is actually a very diverse state in its cities, like most cities in America. But unfortunately, they also deal with a fair share of racism and bigotry. And once the Darjeeling tea was discovered to be the tea on the victim's pants, there was a theory that that meant the killer must be Asian of some sort of Asian descent. And so many of the Indian and East Asian restaurants in the area were uh, vandalized in response to this news being released. Podcasts is all doing. They rely on scientific updating of analysis and also people's memories. There's Detective Sykes, who's now retired, and there's also listeners' responses. And when Leo gets in contact with Al and says, I know who he is. This is at the beginning of the book. But what happens to Leo? Uh, Leo, unfortunately, pays for knowing who he is with his life. And that's before Elle can find out what he knows. But she's there. She discovers his body. That's the rude awakening that this case is going to be very different from all the others that she's investigated. Mm. Because she discovers him 
minutes after he's killed with someone standing over his body. And unfortunately, uh, that kicks off uh, adding her to this police investigation. Well, she's drawn into the police department who really don't want her interfering. In fact, this is a quote from one of the policemen. Just because you run some radio show where you like to play detective and it's worked out a couple of times doesn't mean you can come in on an active murder investigation. But just like police, Al has a wall of photos of all the past girls. What does she call this wall? She calls it her wall of grief. Yeah. We learn that Al has worked with the Child Protection Service, which is part of the police department. Ayan Bishar heads up the CPS, but she doesn't want Al helping with this current kidnapping of girl 11. Why does she not want Al to be part of this investigation? She knows a bit of history about Al that conflicts with her being involved in this case and I don't want to say too much more than that but she she has reason to believe Elle is too close to this case to be able to take it seriously without bias and always assumes it's TCK this is yes. where we're going to have a last little reading now this is right at the back of the book page 271 but it doesn't give too much away but it makes the reader think You were right about the similarities, taking the girls three days apart, continuing with the ages TCK left off on 20 years ago. So he's a copycat. He wants what all copycat criminals want, the fame and notoriety of their idols. What better way to get it than using his supposed return to work to target the very woman that is making the case go viral in 2020? He's got all the information he needs on how to be TCK right there. That jolted Elle out of her thoughts. Right there, as in on justice delayed? Are you saying the killer learned how to copy TCK's murders by listening to my podcast? Ian's expression was grim. It's possible, don't you think? Law enforcement has always worried that shows like Criminal Minds give bad people too many ideas for how to kill. Why wouldn't murderers also take inspiration from true crime podcasts? (gasps) Yes. So we're back to the podcast. Look, um, Amy Sutter-Clark, there are so many (gasps) moments in this book, but I'm not going to tell or give away any spoiler alerts, but how difficult was it to plot? It was very difficult, and I think the book developed over years, so there were many layers added in over time, and one of the funny things about being an author is that often you sort of set yourself up to add a reveal into the book later without realizing it. And you sort of draw these connections between things and, and see hints of things when you read back through and go, what if I made that connection later on and tried to throw a little spanner in the works or send a red herring or something like that with that detail? It was well plotted. It, it surprised. It gave us satisfaction I suppose at the end um so I actually wrote the book while I lived in Australia uh, but it's set in America I didn't have to change it too much for text I think they were quite happy with it where it was obviously I am considered an Australian author as well as an American author since I've lived here for seven years now and I'm a dual citizen but thankfully because it's set in America I think that they were quite happy to keep the Americanisms in the book What I was amazed at 
was how many unsolved cold case murders there are in you in the USA. And I hope you're happy at living here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's really astonishing and that gets added to every year, obviously, but I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's in the hundreds of thousands. Other details in the book, different types of killers that you listed, visionary killers and hedonistic killers, power control killers and mission orientated killers. You know yeah. your killers. So do you have a police <laughs> background? I don't have that background, but I do enjoy reading books about behavioral profiling and police investigation. So those categories of serial killers, I believe, were uh, were first put together by John Douglas, who wrote Mindhunter, which I think a lot of people know because of the Netflix series. But that is actually based on a nonfiction book by an FBI profiler who did that research. And podcasts? Are you doing any? Yes. Uh, so I actually host my own podcast, although uh, I will be putting it on a break for a little while as I work on my second book. But I host a podcast called Scared Litless uh, that's about scary literature, thrillers, crimes, and I interview authors who write those books and talk about the process of writing a crime or thriller novel. And I also love listening to true crime and investigative podcasts and took a lot of inspiration from those for this book. I think the script of the podcast really added to this novel and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, if you can thoroughly enjoy a, a serial <laughs> killer. <laughs> so I've been speaking with Amy Suter-Clark about her book, Girl 11. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you so much, Jan. It's been a pleasure. And now it's David's turn. The Newcomer is a murder mystery with a difference. Author Laura Elizabeth Woolett challenges us to look at the elemental forces in the life of the victim that contributed to her death. So, Laura, welcome to 3CR. Thank you for having me. Paulina is not your ordinary victim. To begin with, she doesn't seem to be all that likeable. You've really created an almost obnoxious character here. <laughs> yeah. I actually, like, personally, I really like her. I found her in her obnoxiousness quite endearing. But, yeah, for, for me as an author, when you're sitting there and writing and a character comes into your head and they're talking in their own voice and doing things that you wouldn't do it always feels like a bit of a blessing so Paulina was that from the beginning she's very dynamic she's very loud she makes bad choices she manipulates people at times she lies at times um and yeah she she kind of does things that people watching from the outside can say oh my god why are you doing that uh, so she makes a lot of bad choices She's also promiscuous, and one of the interesting early situations is she meets Jesse, and they form a bond that could have potential, but almost immediately she walks into Jesse's home, dumps Jesse, and takes up with Jesse's roommate, Lauren. So it's um, uh, extraordinary behaviour. Yeah, I, well, I think... Paulina is a self-sabotaging character at times. I think she, with Jessie, can sense that this could go in a 
you know, direction that would lead to her being committed to him. And she's kind of afraid of that because she's had bad experiences in the past. So she does sabotage herself at times. And I really wanted to explore this friendship as well, um, you know, between a guy and a girl who are attracted to each other, but for many different reasons are better off as friends. Now, the novel is actually set on an island and there was a similar sort of incident that people might be familiar with on Norfolk Island where there was a murder, but the comparison in some ways is unfair because setting it on an island intensifies the reactions and behaviours of people. Was that your intention? Yeah, definitely. I think an island is such a great setting for a murder mystery um, because it is closed off. It's almost like a bigger version of the closed room or closed house mystery where someone who's already on the island has to be the perpetrator. But yeah, it was definitely inspired by true events, the murder of Janelle Patton on Norfolk Island in 2002. But I mostly just took superficial similarities with that case and then went in quite a fictional direction with all the characters. None of the suspects are based on real people. Um, yeah, so I, I very much don't want people to read this as a retelling of true events. What it does do is delve into behaviours and the anomalies thereof. Everybody knows everybody else's business and individuals are protecting the status quo, so crimes go unreported, especially those crimes against an individual, the personal physical crimes. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with people on the island all being related to each other in some way. Uh, there's this tendency to protect their own and also a tendency that if they do speak out against their own, then they are seen as traitors. Uh, so I think it, it is very, um, it can come across as quite an insular community in some ways. But I also um, wanted to show this uh, a crime against an outsider. I thought this was a really interesting thing to explore because Paulina is a newcomer to this island community. She doesn't play by the rules and she makes herself very noticeable from the beginning Um yeah, so I, I was interested in exploring the impact of a crime against somebody like this. Now, one of the most telling relationships that we see in this novel is actually after the murderer has been found. And this relationship really epitomises the sort of tensions that arise between people. And the relationship I'm referring to is that between Jesse, who was Paulina's friend, male friend, and Judy, Paulina's mother, they share a common loss. They need each other's support, but they are simultaneously damaged by their dependence on each other. Yes, that was a very interesting relationship to explore. And when I began writing the book, I didn't know that this relationship would be a big part of the book. But as soon as I put these two characters in a room together, I really liked their... Um, their chemistry and the, the way they talk to each other and stuff. Um, so I, I, I ended up exploring that. Jesse and Judy are both extremely close to Paulina in different ways. Um, Judy is Paulina's 
very loving mother, but they have quite a codependent relationship. Jessie is Paulina's best friend, but has also been hurt by her in the past. And I think they both have um, these very strong loving feelings for Paulina, but have also been hurt by her in their own ways. And after she dies, they they have this um, understanding, I guess, and they both know Paulina so well that it sort of brings them together. But it also means that they're dwelling on the past and um, in many ways unable to get past their feelings even more because they're dwelling on things between each other. These feelings are in fact common to most people going through crises and you sort of give a hint of this in the chapter entitled Driftwood where Judy is talking to her counsellor. I should be past this stage. Judy grabbed another tissue waking up in tears. Remember what we said about the word should, Judy, Agnes replied gently. Remember what we said about stages. I know you don't like that language, Judy sniffed. Just, it's been two years and you've loved her for 32. I should be past this though. It's not a straight line. It's not a ladder you can climb until you reach a place where it doesn't hurt. Remember what we said, Judy, how grief is like the ocean. I know there are calm times and stormy times. What else? It comes and goes in waves. What else? It contains a lot, all the living things, all the treasure, all the garbage, shipwrecks, sea monsters. What else? Sometimes it glitters in the sun. Sometimes it kills you with its coldness. Anything else? You can spend your whole life searching the depths and never find the answer. That's a telling conclusion to come to because people struggle to find the answer and a rationale behind Paulina's death. Yeah, I, I wanted to explore um, these feelings of the senselessness of it all. And um, especially because one thing about Paulina is um, she has been suicidal for a lot of her life. And um, uh, when Judy first gets the news that she's died, uh, she assumes that Paulina has taken her own life. And so the fact that she was actually murdered um, I think brings a, a, a whole other level of tragedy to it. Um, and Judy has thought about losing Paulina before in her life, but never thought it would be in this way. Yeah, but I think, um, you know, I, I really wanted to explore um, the way that grief can change shape over, over time and yet still feel really fresh as well. And certain things can just trigger it unexpectedly. And I think that happens a lot to Judy. It also happens a lot to the reader as well, because we began this conversation by talking about how Paulina was obnoxious. But by the end, we're feeling a great deal more sympathy. And you've actually toyed with the murder mystery genre, because we have the body being found. We have a story of the search going on for Paulina's murderer. But we then get the backstory of Paulina and how she came to the island, thinking that we're going to get clues along the way, given all the people she encounters. But in many ways, what you're providing us with is this backstory of that emotional grief, especially in the lives of those around Paulina that have contributed to Paulina's condition, shall we say. Was that your intention? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I really wanted the murder mystery aspect to be a bit of a Trojan horse to get people reading and um, invested in the story and, you know, thinking, oh, I'm here to find out who the killer is, but then surprising them with all these other questions and all these other storylines, um, many of which are about grief, but also about, I guess, the harm that people do to each other and the harm that people do to themselves. And I also just really wanted to present a victim who was a really complex, alive person uh, and have you follow her through her life and um, really get a sense of how big a gap uh, her loss leaves in the lives of people who knew her. But also then the people that knew her are damaged as well, even before they met her, especially because you give us further information about Judy's background and behaviour. And also we have Judy's sister, Caro, who's self-mutilating. Yeah, Judy and her sister, Caro, um, I mean, they grew up in a, a di very different time to Paulina and they had a very different family situation. And I think um, Judy especially doesn't want to make the same mistakes that her parents did. And this means that she treats Paulina in a certain way and um, could be said to spoil her in some ways, because she just doesn't want to be the same kind of parent that her parents were. Uh, but yeah, there's this sister relationship between Judy and her older sister, Caro, who um, they're very different women. Judy very much, especially in the early chapters, comes across as a bit of a damsel in distress. She's grieving very heavily. She cries all the time, whereas Caro, appears to be this strong woman who has it all together and can manage things when Judy cannot but she also has a lot of um a lot of her own issues and just expresses those in different ways and more secretive ways including self-harm. Well if the reader and listener want to find out more about a murder mystery with a difference if they want to find out more about a character and the influences, not just on that character's life, but even on our own, they need to read The Newcomer by Laura Elizabeth Woollett. And it's a book by Scribe. So, Laura, thank you very much for talking with me today. Thank you for having me and for all your questions. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.